0: Heavenly Father, just feeling the weight of of what I've seen in this passage for the last two weeks as I've looked at it and tried to understand it and pleaded with you for insight, I pray that the weight that I felt during that time, that only your Holy Spirit can, can provide lands afresh on all of us today, Father God. What does it mean, Father, for us to shine your light in this world? What does that look like? Help us to see that with clarity, Father God. Convict us in areas where where we need to be convicted. Challenge us, Father God, in areas where we need to be challenged and help us walk out of this place with courage and courage and gladness and joy in the great responsibility of being a witness of the light. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, grab them and uh, turn with me to uh, John 1, verse 6. John 1, verse 6. And so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know we've walked through the first five verses of the book of John. And uh, John has just finished making this profound statement that the light, that is the, the light of Jesus Christ, has shined into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The glory of God in his Son, Jesus, has infiltrated the darkness of this world, and the darkness we saw last week very clearly does not have the final word. The darkness will not win. The light's going to win. And then John, after saying that in verse 5, in verse 6, he does something that is actually very surprising. It's actually kind of shocking what he does here. Instead of continuing to tell us about the light, which he's going to do in verse 9, he's going to pick right back up where he left off in verse 9, he takes three verses and does something very unexpected. And I want to read that. John 1, starting in verse 6, after talking about the light shining in the darkness, John says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So the author, John, don't want to get confused here. The author's name is John. John the author is introducing to us a man who we will discover is none other than John the Baptist. And we're going to look in the, in the coming weeks more closely at him. He, he fills the first chapter of the book of John. Um, the author, however, here is shifting from looking at the light to looking at a man. He's shifting from looking at um, the glory of Jesus Christ to looking at a witness of that light. And this is the role that John the Baptist was given. John the Baptist was given the role of witness. Now, when I first looked at this text, uh, I, I, it seemed like really straightforward at the beginning. Like I looked at it and I was like, okay, this is a text on John the Baptist commissioned for ministry by God to declare the light. That's what this is. And that's true. That's 100% true. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. But there is more here than that. Why does John interject John the Baptist as a witness right here in this chapter? Why does he put him here? You've been talking about the light. In verse 9, you're going to pick up the light again. The light is important. The light is central. There's nothing more important than the light. Why? stop and why focus on John the Baptist here? And furthermore, John the Baptist's story, if you've read through the, the, the gospel of John, you know John the Baptist's story technically begins in verse 19. He's got a little parenthetical statement in verse 15, but his story actually starts in verse 19, not right here in verse 6. So why introduce him here? What's so important about John's arrival as a witness? that he's brought in early and described and depicted early. And I think the only reason that these three verses make sense at all here is not directly related to John the Baptist, but has everything to do with what verse 5 means. Now verse 5, you remember it, if you turn in or look up on your screen. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so verse 6 and 6 through 8 come right after this. And what John is doing in verses 6 through 8 is he is painting a picture of what verse 5 physically looks like. What does it look like for the light to shine in the darkness? It looks like a witness. In fact, the first witness of Jesus Christ who is John the Baptist. That's what it looks like. And one of the reasons this makes sense is that if we go back to the previous slide... There's nothing unique about John the Baptist here. John the Baptist has a very unique ministry. You know anything about John the Baptist? He has one of the most strange and unique ministries of any of the the, the messengers or the witnesses in Scripture. But John doesn't focus on any of those facets here. Instead, these verses only focus on some things that are true about every witness of the light. These are all things that are true about every witness of the light. So what's most important for us to see right now as we transition from verse five into six through eight is um, not the details of John the Baptist's ministry or even how he was commissioned to do it. What's most important here is that we see how the light shines in the darkness. That's what these verses show us. And the light shining in the darkness looks like a man bearing witness of the light. That's what it looks like, which is precisely why John puts it here. John's taking the propositional realities and truths of the first five verses, and he is, he is um, pulling those truths out and now pressing them into our lives so that we practice them. We actually live them out. This is what they look like when they are lived out, when they're real in our lives. And so by holding out the the ministry of John the Baptist, this is exactly what John is doing. He's calling us into. And you know this already. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells the people who are following him, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, I mean, really throughout the entire New Testament, we see this theme bubbling up. But in 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul explains that what we witness is called the light of, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, we witness, we bear witness to the light. And this is the same light that is in John one. It's it's the, the radiance of God seen and experienced and enjoyed in his Son, and specifically in the fact that His Son enters the world and dies for sinners. That's the most beautiful aspect, the most glorious aspect of that light. And so we are all witnesses of this light. You and I are what stands between human beings in this world. This is the physical role that God's given us. We are what stands between human beings out there and an eternity of darkness. That's what it means to be a witness. That's what God's called us into. And that's why this is so important. You and I know people who are still in darkness. You know people who are in darkness. You have people in your life right now who are captive to the darkness of John 1, 5. Think about them. I mean, I would love for you to, and this is what I did throughout my entire time in this passage, was just thought of the people at my workplace where I work Monday through Friday, in my life, in my family, people that I know. And here's the deal. Unless something changes, they will remain in darkness forever. These are people in your lives, people you love, people you care about, people you may see every single day. And yet we know from what this book says, there's a day coming quickly for each one of us. There's a day coming when turning back to God, turning to God, will not be an option on the table. It'll be gone. And the light will cease to be a possibility and they will be cut off forever. Jesus himself describes this repeatedly as outer darkness. I don't know if you could get a a, a more horrible way to describe what this is. Outer darkness What is outer to God? Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are people we know and love. And so I I want that to be sitting on us today as we look at this text. And so within these three verses of John, John the Baptist is going to be held out as an example, and we're going to see what it is like for the same light that is in John 1 5 to shine what John calls bearing witness of the light. And for those who remain in darkness, this is of eternal significance. This is eternally important, what we're talking about today. These verses don't just give us a historical glimpse into the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. We'll see that. These verses aren't specifically for that. These verses lay out a rubric of how we must shine as light in this world. And we see in these verses four traits. So if you're a note taker, four traits of a witness found in this passage. And these are not just traits of John the Baptist. You will see that these are traits of anyone who claims to be a witness for Christ Jesus. And their traits, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we, we must have in our lives. And, and like I said earlier, I've been, I mean, this week's been interesting for me because I've been profoundly challenged and convicted by not only the stuff I've seen in Scripture, but just in my daily reading that pours into these, these things that I'm reading here. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about that later. But each of these traits that we look at here, we need to ask these questions. Is this in me? Is this trait a part of my person? Do I look like this? Do I act like this? Am I really a witness for the light? And so here we go, trait number one. And we see this at the beginning here, verse uh, six. A witness of the light is sent by God. John says, there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness. This is huge. A witness of the light isn't sent by a man or by men. They aren't sent by themselves. They are sent from God. God is the sender of every witness of light in the world. He's the one who sends them. Think about that. Think about the implications. We, We see this clearly in um, I mean, if you're having trouble connecting John the Baptist being commissioned by God to us, John 17, 18 closes the gap. Jesus, when praying to his Father, um, as he prays to his Father before he goes to the cross, praying for all those who would believe in him, says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is a staggering statement from Jesus. Jesus was sent into the world by the Father to be the light. That's why he was sent. John 1, 9 calls him the true light that gives light to everyone. That's him. That's Jesus. And here Jesus is now sending us into the world just as the Father sent him. And so what this means is that God is the one who has ultimately sent all of us into this world. We have been sent from God to bear witness of the light. God desires the people outside of this building to see the light of Christ and therefore he sends witnesses, which means and one, of the, one of the implications of this is we're all accountable to God for whether or not we witness, for how we witness, for what our motivations are because he's the one who sent us. Bearing the light isn't something that came Uh, that we just sort of developed on our own. We didn't just come up with the idea, hey, you know, I should tell people about Jesus. It is something that God has given every single person who has put their faith in Christ. And therefore we have to give an account for how or whether or not we even witness at all to him. Um, And you and I must know that the one who sent us, um, we, we need to know him not just as an abstract idea, but we need to know him. I mean, this is the most critical aspect of why we were sent from God in the first place. We must know the one who sent us. It's his message. There is no way we can be a witness of the light if we don't know the one who sent us. And so the question for this trait really of being sent from God is, do we really know him? Do do we spend our time in the scriptures seeking him out? because that's where he's at. That's where he's found. Knowing God like we need to do to be witnesses is not something that's extra to Christianity. It's not something that's extra to Christian mission. We must know God. It is essential to any kind of witnessing we could ever do. We must know God, And, and it happens in this book. This is where you know God. You know God between these pages, between these leather bindings that Amber gave me. Um, these pages tell us of who God is. And I cannot, I, I really can't overstate this. This is one of those things where I could, I could tell you a hundred times and I cannot overstate the importance for us to be in our Bibles. And... Um, Yeah, I mean, your knowledge of God isn't just a matter of your personal relationship with with him. Your knowledge of God has eternal implications for the lives of people around you. The only glimpse they may get of God is through what you know of him. Because they've never seen this book before. They don't care about it. They don't want to hear it. They need to know God. God and they can know him through how you, what you know of him. Um, and then we see this in Hosea 6.3. I mean, Hosea 6.3 has it probably most simply, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. That's trait number one. Here's trait number two. And it's implicit in all three of these verses. We wanna go back to that other slide so we can look at each of these in the context. Um, the one that's in John 1, 6 through 8. It's implicit in all of these, but John makes it crystal clear in the last one. Verse 8 tells us, and this is trait number two, we are not the light. The witness is not the light. And this is is something that John the Baptist clearly says in verse 20. He tells the Jewish leaders who come to him and, and are asking him, who are you? He says, I am not the Christ. I mean, he repeatedly says that. He is saying, by saying, I'm not the Christ, he is saying, I am a witness of the light. I am not the light. And this attitude defined his entire ministry. Um, And you see, he was never, ever about himself. He was never, John the Baptist was never about himself. He was completely and totally committed to Christ. John uh, John, uh, 30, verse 3, or, or my bad, John 3, verse 30. There is no John 30, so don't turn there. John 3, verse 30, he straight up, John the Baptist straight up says, He, meaning Jesus, the light, must increase, but I must decrease. I mean, that was his entire paradigm of ministry. John the Baptist's posture about his role of witness was, Jesus is the main thing. I am nothing, He is everything. And this needs to be true about every single witness of light. We are not the light. We are not the light. And we hear this, I love you, we will never be the light. And uh, this is not just a matter of making sure we never claim to be Christ. Uh, Hopefully that isn't a problem here. Um, But just because we're not outwardly claiming to be Christ doesn't mean that this isn't still an issue. There are ways that witnesses um, can be witnesses that don't ultimately point to the light, but but allow that attention to terminate on us. They point uh, to us as a kind of functional savior, even if we never actually say those words out loud. And on the other side of the coin, there's a way that you and I can be preoccupied with a, a certain kind of teacher or a certain kind of uh, of a pastor or a certain kind of writer or preacher, and we can put our confidence in them as though they are Christ. And, and for me, this is personally very real. I mean, there's a lot of this throughout the church, but my past is filled with men who, who, have, who have played a, a huge role in, in showing Jesus to people. And then somehow, subtly along the way, they take his place it's imperceptible but people begin to put their confidence about god in a man and then tragically one day they find out he was just a man he was just a man and then everything they believed in begins to fall apart jeremiah 17:5 is heavy says it best Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's heavy. And it's probably heavy because God takes it very seriously. To trust in man is to turn away from the Lord. That's what that is. So in our own lives, as we watch others, we need to constantly, constantly remind ourselves that we, all of us, No matter how effective we are at communicating the gospel, all of us are not the light. A witness points to the light, reflects the light, is ignited by the light, but is not the true light that gives light to every man. That is reserved for Jesus Christ. We are merely witnesses. So in everything we do to bear witness, this is huge because it happens subtly. Everything we do to bear witness, we always point to the light. This is one of the reasons why it's not like a cute little saying where I say at the beginning, uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. I, I don't say that because I'm trying to be clever or repeat stuff. The reason I say that is because what I say, what Jeremy says, has zero value eternally unless you can see it in here. What I say has zero value eternally unless you can see it in this book. So my whole life is committed not to you hearing a man talk, who cares about that, but to you seeing the light in this book that is of eternal significance And that light in this book is the glory of God in Christ Jesus, seen and experienced and enjoyed in the gospel. That's the only thing that can save people in the world. And that's what we must be about. We must always point to Christ, which takes us to trait number three. And this trait is found in verse seven. Let's go back to that slide. Sorry, I'm gonna make you work overtime, Jacob. Trade number three, verse seven the witness comes to bear witness about the light. It may seem obvious to you, but it's not. This is what a witness does. A witness bears witness about the light. In in the Greek, this word is martureo, and it literally means to testify. It's speaking. It's the same word that the author John uses to describe John the Baptist in verse 19 when he opens up John's story by saying, this is the testimony of John the Baptist. That word testimony is the same word as bearing witness. They are the same word. And so what this means is that bearing witness is not predominantly about actions and about things we do. It is predominantly about a testimony. To bear witness of the light is to talk with words about the light. It's not simply doing things that are good or serving others. As important and as critical as that is, and I'm not devaluing that at all. That is critical. We need actions that line up with what we believe. But if they're not accompanied by a testimony of the gospel, good actions are not helpful. In fact, they can be deadly because they do just what trait number two told us not to do. They draw in the attention on what we're doing for people and not on what he's done for us. And so we must use words in our loving and in our serving in the community, no matter what we do in those actions, no matter how sacrificial they are, we must recognize the unsurpassed necessity of the gospel, the testimony of the light of Jesus. Right, Elias? You agree with me? <laughs> <laughs> and this was true about John the Baptist. We'll see it in a few weeks. Um, who, he calls Jesus the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was all about this testimony. And so this must be true of us. For the light to shine in the darkness is for us to bear witness, to speak of the light. And it demands that we know and embrace and enjoy the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna be the first one to admit, I will be the first one to admit that this is hard. It is easier to pick up a shovel and do community service. It's easier to, and I'm not saying it's easy to do those things. It is easier to, to serve in a soup c- kitchen and keep my mouth shut. It's easier to just show up and be a nice guy at work. But that's not what this is. It includes that for sure, but that's not what this is. It is very hard to do this, to speak of Jesus at work. It's hard to do it at a coffee shop. It's hard to do it at a soccer field with your kids running around playing, this is hard stuff, but this is exactly what God has called us into. And it is important to not do this. Isn't simply to refuse and disobey God on something he's asked us to do. To not speak about the light is to substitute something else for the light. And the reason why is because we all bear witness about something. We all open our mouths and talk about something. This is universally true about every human being. We joyfully, passionately, compellingly talk about things that have gripped us and have holds on our hearts. And so what should grip us as followers of Jesus Christ? What should be the ultimate thing that we are constantly drawn into bearing witness of? 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us this with astonishing clarity. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen race, Peter says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, God's possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what should grip us. That is what should have a hold on our hearts. That's what we should witness about. The excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what it looks like for us to witness, for us to proclaim that. And if you trust in Christ, everything Peter says there about you is true. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people who belong to God. And if we were to ask Peter why, he gives us that answer. The one reason Peter gives us here is that we may proclaim his excellencies. That's why you're all those things. God made us his people so that we would be his witnesses. And that witnessing is proclaiming who he is and what he's done. And I hope you can see that in this text. I think it's pretty clear in this text. We belong to God. We are his possession so that we would proclaim his excellencies. The excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness. That's why we belong to him. That's our ultimate purpose. And Peter uses the same kind of language here. You notice this I mean, this is all over the New Testament, so it's hard to get around this. Peter uses the same kind of language here that the Gospel of John uses. He uses light language and darkness language. And he's saying here, we have been called into the light in order to proclaim the excellencies of that light. And that light is Jesus Christ. To proclaim, to bear witness of the light is to speak about how excellent the light is compared to everything else in the world. That's what it is. That's what it means to witness. And, and so to be clear here, and I'm trying to back up more fundamentally so we have an understanding of a fundamental level of what this is, the main problem, isn't that we need to find out ways to talk more about Jesus. That's, a, that's an aspect of it. That's a symptom of it. The main question we should ask, all of us should ask is, why is it that I'm so gripped by other things that I have no issue to talk about them. But the main thing in my life, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not compel me to do that. Whether it's a movie, a video game, whether it's uh, anything, music, sports team, Super Bowls today, someone told me, that's great. We're gonna proclaim something. We all proclaim something. And the question is, what is it ultimately that we should be proclaiming? And there's really only one answer, Jesus Christ. That's trait number three. We bear witness intuitively, automatically, by instinct in what we treasure, what should we be bearing witness of if we treasure Jesus? Now, trait number four, final trait. Trait number four, let's go back again to the slide. Um, the goal of bearing witness is in this trait. Verse seven tells us, we bear witness of the light that all might believe. That's the goal of bearing witness. That's the purpose of bearing witness. That's what we're after, faith. We want people to believe in the light. We desire for all people to believe in the light. Everyone we see, everyone we know, in our family, in our lives, We want them to believe. That's why we've been sent. That's why God sent us. So that people would come to know this light for who he really is. So that people would trust him as their Lord, their Savior, their treasure, their joy. That's that's literally the whole reason that this passage is in the Bible, is for that. That's why this Bible exists. We looked at that the first week we were in John. God sent us so that people would come to know this light. But, but hear me on this. This does not mean that people become projects. This is so critical. Especially in, in a culture like ours where we analyze everything, we try to make it into a spreadsheet and just tick off boxes. People are not projects. And witnessing isn't just what Christians happen to do. We witness and proclaim the light so that we can wrench people out of darkness, a darkness that will prove, like I said early, earlier, horribly eternal in the end. That's why we share this gospel. Listen to Jesus in John eight twelve. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. And the opposite of life is death. John twelve thirty five, Jesus says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He says, believe in the light. Why? Because you need to be a son of light. You need to be a daughter of light. This is why this is so important. This is why bearing witness of the light isn't like a trivial sidebar to Christianity. Like evangelism isn't like something we do if we have time or want, it, or want to do something fun as Christians witnessing the light is what it means to be a son of light or a daughter of light. It's what it means to be a Christian. We're not not simply people in a religion that are trying to promote an idea or propagate some sort of worldview. That's not us. That's not us. That will happen, but that's not us. We are people who've been gripped by the beauty and glory and worth of Jesus Christ, seen in the gospel, That's what it means to be a son of light. That's what it means to be a daughter of light. Though we did not deserve any mercy, though we deserved no grace at all, through the gospel, you and I were called out of darkness and we were called into his light. And and now we give our lives to proclaim that reality. We give our lives to proclaim his excellencies and they are many. But... The one that is most critical to those in our lives who still remain in darkness is the excellency of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's going to be in the stadium today, somewhere, John 3 16. Because it's true. God really did that. And the stakes are really perishing eternally or living eternally. And that's, this is why you and I must bear witness. And I know, I know this is a struggle. I know how hard this is to do. I know it personally. There's fear. There's apathy. It'd be easier just to ignore it. Be an insular Christian, not deal with the world. There's a desire to avoid ridicule. There's a desire to avoid rejection. And even though you and I know that these four traits, they kind of need to be woven in our everyday lives. I mean, they need to be a part of who we are. We also know that it's hard. This is going to cost us. This is not a cheap transaction. There's a lot at stake. I mean, if I'm this kind of witness, what if I get fired from my job? What if I lose my reputation, my influence, my friends? What if I lose my family? I mean, fill in the blank. Those are all real questions. They should be real questions. They're not empty. We have a lot to lose. But here's the thing. Jesus, the very light of the world that we bear witness of, looked at all of those questions and 10,000 more of them Knowing the loss that he would entail, and said this in Matthew 20, verse 28 The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To ransom is to trade his life for ours. That's what he's talking about, that's the cross. This isn't just a statement um, that he's saying about himself. Jesus, in the context of this passage, is inviting his disciples and us to join him at giving our lives, to bear witness of the light, that we would give our lives as witnesses, and it will be costly. Scripture is very clear. This is not a cheap thing. All of these traits in our lives, functioning the way that they ought to, will cost us big time. I can make a promise here. It's going to be hard. But for those who don't believe, it is the difference between an eternity in darkness and life. That's the difference. That's the exchange. We're not talking, what's at stake here is not 70 or 80 years or 100 years or 10,000 years. What is at stake here is forever. That's what's at stake. And so as we close here in the next few moments and prepare for communion, where we're gonna physically take into our hands what Matthew 20, 28 describes or twenty thirty eight 38 describes um, is this the ransom that was secured by Christ on the cross. Light shining into darkness through his victory in the gospel. We should remember as we take the elements today, not only that Christ by his own blood ransomed every son of the light, every daughter of the light, that he did that that he's torn us away from this darkness, that we don't have to be afraid of it anymore. We don't have to worry about an eternity away from him anymore. We are in his marvelous light forever. As we remember that, let us feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to plead with God for his light to not simply terminate in us and just quit shining. But that his light would course through us into every conversation, every relationship, every interaction, that it would be all of our lives. And I mean, here's the deal. The reason this cost is so high, the reason that it's, the reason that it's so weighty to do this is because it is so critical and so important. John 1 is not holding out um, just this invitation to people joining your religion. That's not what John holds out. John 1 holds out the greatest mission ever in the world. The greatest task ever given to man is, there's nothing greater than this, is to bear witness of the light. I mean, I challenge you. Think of anything that is more important, more critical than people being with God forever. Being able to enjoy him and worship him forever. There isn't anything in this world. This is it And the reason why is because it matters eternally for people who've never seen Christ. And they need to see Him. They need to see Him no matter what it costs us. And um, I'm going to make another promise here. We will not regret any losses we experience in this life for the sake of bringing others into the light. We won't. And the reason I know that is because Christ doesn't regret giving his life for us. Not a single millisecond. It will cost, but you will regret nothing in the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what is needed right now as we participate in communion, as we worship, as we go from this place is for your Holy Spirit to come and for him to penetrate every part of our being, our soul, with the the very love that Christ had for us. Help us to feel it, help us to know it so that every fear, every ounce of apathy in our bodies, every desire to avoid suffering, to avoid pain, to avoid sacrifice in the sake of bringing others into your kingdom, Father God, would be crushed by the weight of that love. I'm praying for myself now. Praying for myself, my my friends here too, but I'm thinking about people in my life who I see every day who do not know you, and I want them to. And I find in my heart, in my actions, so many times where I hesitate to say what I ought to. Help me not to have that hesitation. Help none of us to feel bound by a desire to preserve ourselves and to to enjoy the comforts of this world when people are going to be cut off from you forever. Help us to feel courage and boldness, just like Paul asked for, that as I open my mouth, I will boldly proclaim the word of God. I pray that that would be a reality for us, Father God, and that we would feel the weight of these four traits press in on our lives as you bring us deeper and further into your grace, and that we would be a light, we would be a reflection, rather, of you in this world. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.